Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. The reading this morning is from Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You may be seated. God is good all the time. This last week was a very difficult one, and it almost seems antithetical to say that God is good, but If I think of myself, yes, it's difficult to say, but if I think of our sisters who on this Lord's Day got to worship in the heavens, God is good. And Lord willing, one of these days we'll be there to to worship and stand before the King. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 1,795 if you need a little bit of help. 1,795. Anytime I think about a revolution, I think about the revolution, uh, the American Revolution and uh, the resistance to England, which many believed was actually a sacred duty to the people who were on the whole highly religious. And one of the things that I found interesting is that many of those who were led were led by their preachers in resistance to the tyranny of England. One preacher named Jonathan Mayhew observed that England imposed heavy taxes on the colonies without allowing them to be represented in Parliament. And so he coined the phrase that really became one of the battle cries of the revolution, no taxation without representation. Sound familiar? Then there's another minister named John Witherspoon who preached on the similarities between Israel's bondage in Egypt and the bondage the colonies suffered under England. Witherspoon was one who signed the Declaration of Independence. Then Samuel Cooper, who was a congregational minister, actively preached on the revolution to an audience that included John Adams, Samuel Adams, Joseph Warren, and John Hancock. And then there's Peter Muhlenberg. If you've ever seen the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson, this is the the preacher who served as the model for the preacher in that movie. On Sunday, he stood in his pulpit and preached from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8, and he concluded his sermon with these words, quote, The Bible tells us there is a time for all things. There is a time to preach and a time to pray, and there is a time to fight, and that time has come now. Now is the time to fight. Well, I don't know how well Jesus would have squared up their sentiments with his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, But when you think of a New Year's revolution, especially as it regards Christians, I think we need to look inwardly. 
It's always easy to look around things that are outside of these walls, outside of this assembly, and go, well, that's bad, that's horrible, you know, and see all the bad things that are going on. And if we allow our minds to, to be swayed constantly by the bad, then we're going to live in that lane of negativity and defeat. But we, as Christians, are not a defeated people. We serve a king that has already conquered and overcome sin. I remember one saying, I believe it was Edmund Burke, it says, all it takes for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Well, evil will not triumph because Jesus is risen from the grave. So we have no fear of these things. Though we see it and obviously can acknowledge it, uh, we need to remember that the king is seated on his throne in the heavens. And no matter how bad things seem down here, our God is still in control. So in this passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 that we'll look at, Paul reminds us of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. A lot of times when we talk about blessings, you know, we go, thank you for our blessings, and we think materially. Uh, sometimes those material things we have can be blessings, but they can also be curses. You know, if the material possessions that we have are such that it takes our heart from God or it rearranges our priorities, it's not a blessing. It's actually a curse. But here, Paul enumerates several blessings that we can certainly hang our hats on and be thankful that we have. And, and we, I know I need to be reminded of them because sometimes we forget all the good things that God has done for us and it's necessary to refocus and have that inner revolution of myself, of yourself as well. So, if your Bible's open to Ephesians 1, I want to, I want to, to give you the setting. Paul is inviting the Ephesians into worship. The words, as he begins his blessing, it's actually uh, opens with, it's, it's called a barakah in Hebrew. It's, it's a long series of blessings. So any Jewish Christian or any Jew would recognize this because it was often how sometimes synagogue services were began or begun. Excuse me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. One thing I want to point out, if you read Ephesians, you're going to note probably five times where Paul mentions the heavenly places. He's not focusing on what's here on earth, but rather he's focusing on what's in heaven. Chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 20, 2, 6, 3, 10, and 6, 12. He mentions the heavenly places. And these blessings that we have, they're not material, but they're spiritual. So it's not something necessarily you can see and put your hand on, but it's something that by faith we accept that God has given to us. In verse 4, he gives the first of these blessings, and that is... He chose us to be holy and blameless. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. A Scottish theologian had this to say about holiness. He said, it doesn't consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. That's what holiness is. Now, I've, uh, 
Remember when I was a kid, you know, it was, it was when you were in school, if, if one misbehaved, sometimes everybody got punished. Uh, that's unfair, but it was the reality. We had a, a football coach for one of our teachers, and this one kid was, he was just, you know, the football coach had to step out and go do something, and so he left the class unattended. That was a test. What are they going to do, right? Well, this one kid was acting the fool, we'll say. And coach walked in while he was in the middle of acting the fool. And now, Coach Honeycutt was about that tall. He had little man syndrome. That, no offense to any short guys, but he, he was that tall, but his attitude was that of a seven-foot man. And buddy, he went off. His face turned red, and he was yelling and hollering at everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there going... Don't blame me. I wasn't doing anything, right? That's what I, you weren't going to say it, but that's what you were thinking. Now, you, you think about blameless. You know, we've probably been in situations, a group situation where, you know, whoever is upset and you go, they, they just start letting everybody have it. And you go, hey, don't look at me. I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm, I, it's not my thing. But different than that, we are to be blamed. We are to be blamed because we've sinned. But God is able to take that blame and wipe it away and make it as if we were blameless. Like it never happened. You know, I remember when I was in kindergarten, it used to be when the teacher wrote your name on the board, that was a bad thing. Did they still do that? I don't know. I mean, now you write their name on the board, it's because they're special, right? Everybody's special. But when I was a kid, if your name was on the board, it's because you're bad. And so you didn't want your name on the board because everybody's looking, they're going, his name's on the board. You're in trouble. You know, it was bad. But at the end of the day, the teacher would always wipe the board clean and we would begin the next day anew. So similar to that, when we have faith in Jesus and we obey the gospel, he makes us something that we can't make ourselves. We can never make ourselves blameless because truth is we did it. And we cannot make ourselves holy, but God can. I think of the holiness of God, and there are several passages that come to mind and stories, specifically from our Old Testaments. Leviticus chapter 10 is one of them. In Leviticus 10, you have Nadab and Abihu, they're worshiping the Lord, and all that the Scripture says is that they offered strange, some versions say profane, fire on the altar. Now, there was a whole series of things that you had to do as a priest and you took the coals from one particular uh, uh, fire and you would put it in the altar of incense and the various others. So whatever they offered, it wasn't how God told them to offer it. And so, boom, they're dead right then and there. That is because they did not respect the holiness of God. Another story, you have Moses as he is leading Israel, wandering for 40 years. By the way, if you left Egypt and went from Egypt to the land of Canaan, traveling as they did, it should have taken them only six days. But because of their obstinate hearts, God made them wander for 40 years. Talk about a recalculating route, recalculating route, recalculating route, right? You ever have that with your GPS? So, on one occasion, they're thirsty, and, you know, Moses, and God says, look... Command the rock, and water will come from the rock. And Moses is frustrated with these people. If you ever want to see how sometimes ministry can be difficult, 
read the book of Numbers and just take a look at all that Moses had to deal with. He had millions of people. And so he was upset, and so he took his staff, and, and <clears throat> I had a middle school boy moment there for a second. He took that staff, and he struck that rock, and it gave forth its water. But afterwards, God said, you didn't regard me in the sight of these people. I said to command, you struck. Because of this disobedience, you will not enter the promised land. So think of all that he had done and how he got them to that point. And there he stands looking over the Jordan, knowing that's where they're going. That is that place that God has promised them, much like how Jesus has promised to us heaven. We're standing there on the precipice overlooking the Jordan, waiting to cross. And Moses would never be able to do that because of his disobedience. You keep on going through Scripture and you read of Utza. Utza is probably one of my favorite illustrations. I think Utza was probably a fine guy. I think he probably loved the Lord. I think he wanted to be faithful to King David. But they're moving the Ark of the Covenant from point A to point B, and they're moving it on an ox cart. Not moving it how they're told to do according to the law. And so they come on some rocky ground, and, and the Ark starts to slide. And Utza, he has the purest of motives. We don't want that to fall and break. So he reaches out and he touches it and he stops it. Well, he dies instantly as a result. And David is frustrated over this. And sometimes when you and I read scripture, we read and we go, boy, God sure is temperamental, isn't he? That's how some people think about it. But the right way to think about it is God is holy. And that holiness deserves to be regarded as such. Think of it this way. As children, most of us were probably taught that when the national anthem was played, you stood, you faced the flag, put your hand over your heart, or if you're a soldier, maybe you salute. And if you got a hat on, you take it off. We regard that because of what it means to us. How much more so? the things of God, should we regard as He would have us regard them. Isaiah has this wonderful encounter with the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, and there he is before the very presence of God in the throne room of heaven, and he sees the glory and the grandeur of God, and the first thing that he is moved to say isn't, man, this is cool. He cries out, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. He thought, it's over. I'm going to die because I've seen this. You see, when you and I stand right next to God, it shouldn't be a, a, a situation of, yeah, look at those sinners over there. You know what they did last week? Or look at that one over there. You know how they live? When we put ourselves next to God, it should be, oh my, this is my sin just as Isaiah was. Remember when Peter was in the boat fishing with the Lord and Jesus said, cast over your nets. And they'd been fishing all night. So, okay, we do it, we, we do it. And then they bring in all these fish and Peter realizes in that moment and he bows his head and he says to Jesus, he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. When we stand before the holiness of God, we are reminded of who we are and what we've done. But in this instance with Isaiah and with Peter, 
The Lord doesn't consume them as he may well be in his right to do. But with Isaiah, one of the angels takes the coal from the altar, touches it to his lips and says, you're now purified. And just as Jesus remained with Peter, he did so for the sake of purification. You and I can never be holy and blameless on our own accord, but God can make us holy and blameless because of what his son has done. One of the second blessings that we see in the next verse, verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, a lot of people really get hung up on the word predestined. And what what gives sense to it to me is if you hold your spot here and look at Romans 8. Romans 8, 29 through 30. Paul uses similar language here, but he gives a little more detail about this whole notion of predestination. And it's not necessarily how many think of it. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Speaking of God, Paul says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So the issue of predestination, you have to You and I have to keep in mind that God is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. And sometimes people, you know, and then you get into the, well, can God change his mind? You know, and you get into all these discussions, which can be fun to have. But, you know, God is all-knowing. And because he's all-knowing, he foreknows or foreknew who was going to respond positively to that gospel and who wouldn't. Now, if it were you and I in control, we would look at the equation and we'd go, well, there's probably a whole lot more that aren't responding positively than are. Is it really worth it? But God doesn't think as we think. He thinks differently. And so because of his foreknowledge, he has predestined us to adoption. Now, there wasn't a custom of adoption uh, among the Jews, but there was among the Greeks and the Romans so essentially, I, let me, I'll put it this way. Many of you have already seen and given your congratulations to me and said, Bree is now engaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm happy, and, but I'm a daddy, and I'm also, eh. But, uh, you know, I, I, Kenneth came up to me. He said, he said here's how you got to look at it. You're gaining a son. You're not losing a daughter. I said, let's hope that's true. But I believe it is. But, you know, we're, we're happy for our daughter. We're happy for John. Um, you know, I, ever since she was a little girl, I've prayed to God for the man he, God, would give her to marry. That's always been a part of my prayer. But now what some of you may not know is that John grew up without a father. And so to be... As good a fellow as he is, his mother did a very good job. But if we lived in the first century, say we were Greeks and Romans, 
I, as a father, could take this grown man if I wanted to and adopt him as my son. He would have all the rights as a biological son, and there would be no difference in a biological or an adopted son. So when you have that vision in mind of how God takes us and makes us His children, how He adopts us as His children, it's actually a very beautiful sight. I think most of us are probably the, you know, we are not adopted children, but uh, we are children of our parents. But if you ever know of someone who is adopted, you ought, to, you ought to talk to them and see what their view is, because the people that raise them are as good as their biological parents. And I think it says a lot for a person to adopt, because it definitely says that they have love in their heart to give. And they want to give that love. And God, as we read in 1 John, God is love. And He wants to give that love. He wants us to be His children. So these blessings of being made holy and blameless, these blessings of being brought in and made a member of the family of God are just a couple that we see. We keep going in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in all, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. To be redeemed means that we have been freed from our bondage. And any time a person is redeemed, a ransom has to be paid. It's almost as if not only were we in bondage, but we were also hostages to our sins. The Israelites were redeemed from Egypt. We have been redeemed from the power of sin and the curse of the law through Jesus. And we are reminded time and again in Scripture that we have been bought with a price. One of my favorite Old Testament prophets is Hosea. The story begins as a personal story in the first few chapters. God tells Hosea to go and take a woman of adultery and have children of adultery. And so he goes and he takes this woman. Her name is Gomer. As far as I know, her last name wasn't Pyle. But Gomer is made his wife, and th there's only about 20 people that got that. The rest of you go, who's Gomer Powell? Look him up. So he takes this wife, and she's unfaithful to him, and has these children. And she is attributing all of her wealth, all of her beauty, all of the good things in her life, not to her husband, but to the male suitor's she's been consorting with. Hosea is looking for his wayward wife. And he finds her on an auction block being sold as a slave. And he, he purchases his wife's freedom that she would come back to him. Now, Hosea is, is 
meant to understand how God feels. God loves these people, Israel. He has chosen them, but they have been unfaithful. Rather than just casting them away, which any reasonable person would do, his love is so great that he wants to redeem them. He wants them back, just like Hosea wanted Gomer back. God created every one of us. He gave us our lives. And we choose sin for a season, if not longer. But He paid the price of His Son dying on the cross because He wants us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. It's nice to be needed, but it's far greater to just be wanted. Needed means there's something you can give me. There's something you can do for me. Wanted means I just want you. I love you. And God wants us. Finally, He gives an inheritance. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So do you all remember layaway? Walmart layaway, Kmart layaway. Uh, now, I was a kid when, when this was, I, I don't know when they quit it, but if you wanted, say, to buy something, you would go and you would put it on layaway with Walmart or, Kmart or whatever. I don't know if Kmart exists anymore, but anyway. So you'd go back to the layaway thing and you go, I would like this, and maybe you pay a little bit, and they'll go, okay, uh, you have to pay this much, what, every week, every month, whatever it was, and when you finally paid it in full, then you, then you get it. It's yours. So it's, it's almost like our salvation and the Holy Spirit is given to us, for the lack of a better term, as a down payment. And the proof is that God is going to one day redeem that. In the terms of layaway, it, it, you know, it's not that he continually pays. He's already paid the price. Maybe a better illustration is, you know, you take those coupons. Uh, that used to be a big thing. I don't know if it still exists or not. Uh, but Mama used to go and she'd have a whole stack of coupons whenever she'd go to Kroger. Because, you know, they, they, believe it or not, she fed a family off of 100 bucks a week. That was, that was the budget for groceries. 100 bucks now, you'll get a gallon of milk and maybe a dozen eggs. That's why I have chickens. Boy, I keep those girls happy. They keep me in eggs. So if we, you want to barter something here, I got some hot commodities at the house. But you take that coupon and you redeem it and you get whatever the discount is. Our salvation and the Holy Spirit given to us as the seal. And there's another thing. He is the guarantee of our inheritance, but we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Again, something that is not as common today as it was then, but with a seal, you'd take a candle and you'd let it heat up to where you have that liquid, and you'd pour that liquid wax on, and then you would take either a, a signet ring or some insignia, and you would press it in there. And that 
let you know who the owner was. And so you think about the fact that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. He has made us holy and blameless. He has made us members of the family. He has redeemed us, purchased us with a price. And He's given us an inheritance. Something we must keep in mind, church, are the words of Peter in 1 Peter 4, verses 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Let that sit with you for a second. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is what we should always be doing. But we have to remember, too, that we are scarcely saved. So what does that mean of the ungodly and the sinner, the one who has never obeyed the gospel of God? And I really don't like talking about that outcome. But it's not very good. But to those who haven't obeyed the gospel of God, these things that we just looked at are what one receives. You're made something you can never make yourself to be. You're adopted. You're forgiven. And you have an inheritance that awaits you. For we who are Christians, that's great to be reminded of. It's great to hear. But for the one that isn't a Christian, we want you to know this is what God offers. And He offers that through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was buried and rose on the third day. If you will profess your faith in Jesus and be buried with Him in baptism. This is the beginning point where we receive all these blessings. They are yours for the taking, but they are also yours to throw away. Don't throw away these blessings that God has given. If we persist as Christians in sin, we may very well throw these blessings away. So don't let sin reign in you as if we were still slaves to it. But let us walk in the grace and the light of God as He has purposed us to. If any needs to answer the call to obey that gospel this morning, or if any Christian wishes to cast off the sin and reclaim these blessings, come forward and we will minister to you as we stand and sing.